BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Giles Milton, host of the Unknown History podcast, and you're listening to a special mini-series from historian Bradley Hart on Hitler's American Friends. On September 11, 1941, one of America's most famous celebrities took to the stage before a raucous crowd in Des Moines, Iowa. The Roosevelt administration is the third powerful group which has been carrying this country toward war. This was the famed aviator Charles Lindbergh, nicknamed Lucky Lindy, addressing a crowd of America First supporters three months before Pearl Harbor. For months before this speech, Lindbergh had been traveling the country giving similar speeches, opposing U.S. entry into the war in Europe. Tonight's speech was very different, though. There were, he told the crowd that evening, three groups that had conspired to draw the country into the war. Quote, the British, the Jewish, and the Roosevelt administration. Together, he continued, these groups had executed a plan to draw the country into the war gradually by building up the American military and then manufacturing what he called a series of incidents to, quote, force us into the actual conflict. Lindbergh poured particular ire on the Jews. Quote, Jewish groups in this country, he told the crowd, should realize in the event of war, quote, they will be among the first to feel its consequences. Despite the alleged machinations of these groups, Lindbergh reserved hope that they might cease their activities and stop pushing the U.S. towards war. If that could be managed, he said, quote, I believe there will be little danger of our involvement. Lindbergh's address that night created a huge national controversy. It was covered on page two of the New York Times and in most of the country's major papers. Most of the press denounced it, including left-wing columnist Dorothy Thompson. Letters poured into newsrooms across the country and America First headquarters in Chicago, and they were both supporting and denouncing Lucky Lindy. Even Franklin Roosevelt's press secretary weighed in on the controversy. He compared the remarks to recent statements coming from Berlin. In just a few minutes on stage in Iowa, Lindbergh had damaged his personal reputation to a degree from which it would never fully recover. But what had taken a once-beloved American hero to these depths? Why did one of the country's most popular celebrities endorse anti-Semitism and become one of Hitler's key American friends? To understand Lindbergh's remarks on that Iowa night, we have to look at who he truly was and the company he kept in the years before 1941. The answers to those questions, as we will see, are deeply troubling. Lindbergh first leapt into the public consciousness back in 1927, when he became the first man to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. This was a, a huge event, which we often forget today, but this was seen as a pinnacle of both technological advancement and also personal heroism. This was not only a major feat in aviation history, but it also captured the public's attention and its imagination in a period when technology was rapidly changing all facets of human existence. Lindbergh returned home from Europe after the flight as one of the most famous people in the world. It was said at one time that he'd become the most photographed man in the world. A few years later, in 1932, Lindbergh's son disappeared from his home in New Jersey, 
His body was subsequently found not too far from the house, and this became the crime story of the century. There was a huge outpouring of grief. The trial was covered in the press on a daily basis. After the resulting trial ended and the alleged killer was convicted and executed, Lindbergh and his wife, Anne Morrow Lindbergh, left the U.S. for Europe, in part to escape the media attention that was now following them everywhere. Their time in Europe, though, would prove to be an important turning point in both their lives. In June of 1936, Charles Lindbergh was living in Britain with his wife and received a letter from Major Truman Smith, who was the American military attache at the Berlin Embassy. Truman Smith wanted to know whether Lindbergh would be willing to visit Germany and produce a report for the U.S. government about recent developments and advances in German aviation. What better person to ask about this than the famous Charles Lindbergh? Smith's proposal for the visit was approved in advance by the head of the Luftwaffe, Hermann Goering, who was no doubt eager to reap the publicity benefits of a visit by one of the world's most famous men. The visit took place in July of 1936 and included trips to airfields, aircraft factories, and research facilities. Lindbergh got really unprecedented access to the German aircraft industry in this period. There were some social functions as well, including a luncheon packed with government officials in which Lindbergh delivered a lengthy speech about the destructive potential of aerial bombardment, arguing that in the event of a future war, aerial bombardment would prove to be an exceptionally dangerous situation for civilian populations as well as for soldiers. Lindbergh and his wife later that day paid a social call to Goering, who introduced them to his pet lion, Augie. Lindbergh's final major stop was a visit to the opening ceremonies of the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin, where he and Anne sat near Adolf Hitler, but evidently didn't speak to him. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. The Lindbergh visit to Germany became a sensation on both sides of the Atlantic for predictable reasons. The New York Times reported his daily movements around the country. But more troublingly to some, after returning to Great Britain, Lindbergh began praising the German regime both privately and publicly, though he was careful to always add that he did not support Nazism itself. He was just impressed by what he'd seen in Germany. The Lindberghs went on to visit the Third Reich twice more in the coming years. In October of 1938, Lindbergh was invited to an event at the American embassy that included Hermann Goering on the guest list. Without warning at this event, Goering was handed a small note and began delivering a speech. You can imagine how strange this scene would be. In it, he announced in German that Hitler had decided to award Lindbergh the service cross of the Order of the German Eagle in recognition of his services to aviation. As you might recall from our last episode, this was the same award that had been controversially given to Henry Ford in recognition of his services to the Reich's military preparedness and the automotive industry more widely. 
What was interesting about this event was that Lindbergh himself did not speak German and evidently thought that Goering was just giving a speech. When he handed him this box, he tucked it into his pocket and seemingly forgot about it. Later that night, Truman Smith's wife, Kay, remembered that the box had been handed to Lindbergh and asked him what it was. She translated the note, and the group realized what had taken place. Anne Morrow Lindbergh remarked on the spot that the medal was a, quote, albatross. Indeed, it would soon become so. The American press leapt on the story immediately. The New York Times even reported that Lindbergh had worn the medal proudly all night, which doesn't seem to be true, but you can imagine how this was playing in the U.S. In early December, the airline TWA, which Lindbergh had helped establish himself after his 1927 flight, dropped its then-famous nickname of the Lindbergh Line, seemingly because being associated with Charles Lindbergh was no longer positive for business. In late December, the Secretary of the Interior, Harold Ickes, who was a famous progressive in the Roosevelt administration, told a Jewish group meeting that anyone accepting such a decoration from a dictator, quote, automatically forsways his American birthright. The pressure on Lindbergh was mounting. Lindbergh sensibly decided to use this moment to return to the U.S. and try to address the crisis that was unfolding. He arrived back in the country in April, and over the coming weeks he met with Roosevelt personally to discuss developments in German aviation. The president, however, purported to be unimpressed, telling the media that Lindbergh hadn't told him anything he didn't already know. Over the coming months, Lindbergh worked with the U.S. military on aviation-related matters, and on September 1, 1939, the war officially broke out, the German invasion of Poland. Now, this left Lindbergh with a decisive choice. This man was seen as a genuine American hero. He certainly could have continued his work and quietly helped prepare the country for war, even if he believed that it shouldn't happen. Alternatively, though, he could use his fame to argue against the war or argue against U.S. involvement in the war. In a fateful decision, he chose to take this latter route. On September 15th, he accepted time on all three of the nation's radio networks. Speaking from a hotel suite in Washington, D.C., Lindbergh told the American people that if the U.S. got dragged into the war, millions of men would die and democracy at home might be destroyed. The better path, he argued, was to remain neutral in the war, with a strong army and a strong navy to deter any form of invasion. It was a controversial move. Over the coming days, hundreds of letters, both outraged and supportive, arrived at Lindbergh's home. Lucky Lindy had now officially thrown his hat into the political arena. Lindbergh would end up giving a series of speeches calling for neutrality, catapulting him to national notoriety. An August 1940 poll revealed that a full 51% of Americans had heard or read about Lindbergh's most recent radio address calling for non-intervention in the war. Of those Americans, 24% agreed with his sentiments, while 56% disagreed. Attorney General Robert H. Jackson denounced Lindbergh as a, quote, modern protester against democracy and alleged that his speeches might weaken American resolve. In October of 1940, though, Lindbergh was undeterred and accepted a fateful invitation to speak at Yale University under the auspices of the newly formed America First Committee. Nearly 3,000 people packed a lecture hall at Yale for the event, and afterward Lindbergh was literally flooded with fan mail. He now began barnstorming the country under the auspices of America First. In late May of 1941, he packed Madison Square Garden with more than 20,000 people. Those of you who have heard episode one of this series will know this was the same venue where Fritz Kuhn held his swan song rally in 1939. Thousands more listened on loudspeakers in the streets. 
Political extremists and former German-American Boon members suddenly began flocking into America First ranks at the same time. We have to remember that Fritz Kuhn, the leader of the German-American Boon, was now in jail. These members had no place to go. An organization offering arguments against entering the war certainly had its appeal. Lindbergh himself began personally breaking bread with members of the anti-Semitic right. In August of 1939, Lindbergh had dinner with mutual broadcasting radio personality Fulton Lewis. Lewis was a well-known right-wing commentator at the time. Lindbergh recorded in his journal that Lewis regaled him with stories about, quote, the Jewish influence on our press, radio, and motion pictures, end quote. Lindbergh then struck up a personal friendship with fascist intellectual Lawrence Dennis, who encouraged Lindbergh to keep up the anti-war campaign. Dennis, incidentally, would eventually be indicted for sedition. Lindbergh's sentiments on that September night in Des Moines were therefore no anomaly. They were an expression of the anti-Semitic views he'd been developing in conjunction with Hitler's American friends ever since he got back to the U.S. After the Pearl Harbor attack of December 7, 1941, the America First Committee was finished. Quote, our principles were right. Had they been followed, war could have been avoided. End quote. This was the organization's last official statement before it disbanded. Lindbergh's reputation was similarly ruined after Pearl Harbor. The Roosevelt administration refused to let him take a leading role in the war, despite his obvious aviation credentials. He eventually did end up flying some combat missions in the Pacific, but was never allowed to take major credit for them. He would spend the rest of his life in a strange combination of obscurity and infamy, and eventually died in Hawaii. The slogan America First had always meant more than simply opposition to the war. It signified opposition to the Roosevelt administration itself and the president more broadly. America Firsters throughout the committee's existence advocated a vision of America that looked inward rather than globally, and a country that looked after its own interests alone. Charles Lindbergh became the perfect spokesman for America First, in large part because of his fame and reputation. Yet the Des Moines speech on September 11, 1941, would reveal there was a dark underbelly to the public image this American hero enjoyed, much as there was with Henry Ford as well. Through his actions and beliefs, Charles Lindbergh would briefly become one of Hitler's most important American friends, and his reputation would never recover from his actions before the war. You've been listening to guest historian Bradley Hart. I'm your host, Giles Milton. Tune in to the Unknown History podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks for listening. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.